looking today at Jesus, the good shepherd. Such a sweet chapter, such a beloved chapter that uh, man gives us just an intimate look at the relationship that Jesus has towards his people and the great extent that he's gone to to know us and be known by us and the even greater extent that he's gone to to redeem us out of our sin. We're going to be seeing here today that Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for God's people. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus gathers his sheep. Verses 7 through 10, he guards his sheep. And 11 through 18, he gives his life for his sheep. And let's just pray together before we get into the word. Uh, Lord, just it's good on this Lord's Day to be together as a family, to gather, just like the early church did. And, and I don't think we got to be all stuffy about it. I think it's okay to just enjoy being in each other's presence and, and just to, to grow in relationship with one another and kind of let our guard down. And, um, and Lord, as we are sheep, Lord, that we would be, uh, rather as we are like likened to sheep in this chapter, Lord, that we would just enjoy being just a part of the family, being a part of the fold, the flock. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone today that uh, maybe they're like uh, just a lamb on the outskirts, uh, just about ready to be picked off by a a wolf or by a robber. Um, Lord, that you would just bring them in even closer, put them right in the middle, Lord, and, and just show them that they're loved, not only by you, the good shepherd, but by the rest of the flock, Lord. Uh, just do a work by your spirit here. Again, we wish to see Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this may be a total surprise to you, but John chapter 10 comes after John chapter 9, okay? I mean, science. Johnny and I were talking about that earlier. There's a graph about it and everything. I'm kidding. Um, but the reason I say that is because we just finished chapter 9 last week in the story of the blind man being healed at the pool of Siloam and how, uh, man, he was led to see clearer than he'd ever seen before when he saw Jesus as the savior of the world and believed in Jesus to not only see spiritually, but to have the blindness of his heart disappear and to see with crystal clarity, uh, even just the, the truth of Jesus, the logos, the meaning of everything. And the pharisaical religious leaders there in Jerusalem did not appreciate this. And so they attack and fight against Jesus. They have some long dialogue with Jesus. We studied it last week. And we come to know that Jesus uh, shows that they were actually the blind ones all along. Uh, that from birth, they were the blind ones. And, uh, and so uh, there's that great encouragement for those of us that think we see everything to really ask the Lord to show us, man, is my heart really hard and I'm actually blind to the things of the Lord? Then, then Lord, give me vision to see you as who you are. And, and so with those religious leaders being blinded, they are going to lead Jesus into a parable that, that illustrates what type of leaders they really are, what type of spiritual leaders they really are and what type of a spiritual leader he really is. And so um, if you just kind of recall, there's a series of I am statements that we're in. In chapter 6, Jesus would multiply loaves and fish and, and, and be discussing with the people about how he is the bread of life. Uh, by chapter 7, he doesn't necessarily say, I am the living water, but he's going to discuss that out of the heart of everyone who believes will come these torrents of living water, suggesting that he is that life and the Holy Spirit who would come upon believers would bring that powerful, vibrant, full, satisfying draft of life, uh, not only out of their hearts, but to the whole world. And so, but with the I am statements, I'm the bread of life by chapter uh, seven, he's going to, uh, or chapter eight, he's going to say that he's the light of the world. 
And, and now we're going to see him speaking of him being the good shepherd. These statements multiple times said here in the chapter, I am the good shepherd. But flowing from the context of the blind man being healed, being excommunicated from the synagogue because he believed in Jesus that day, Jesus is going to kind of address the state of those religious hoity-toity guys that um, are proud in their own self-righteousness and disdain anyone that relies on Jesus for true righteousness. And so let's look at verse one together in our text. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. And so we're having this pastoral illustration here, this uh, illustration from agriculture, uh, that comes from uh, that of a, of a shepherd with his sheep. And so he tells us that if anyone is trying to get into the sheepfold by any other way, except for the clear cut entrance, the door into the pasture, then that man, one translation says, that man is a thief and a robber. Uh, back in the culture of the day, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't so much these great rolling hills like you might think of England and a sheep herder or something like that. But it's really more like kind of an intimate courtyard where a number of homes kind of kept their sheep together. And that was a safe place to keep them. They might even hire a watchman or something of the sort to protect those sheep. But Jesus is saying here, and it's going to be a theme throughout, is that there is one entrance. There is one entrance door and anyone that tries to come in from any other way is that man it's the same as just being a bandit some sort of criminal some sort of rebel because the only legitimate way to collect the sheep is through through the door and um there's connotations towards old testament uh Uh, illustrations regarding the shepherd. You go back to Ezekiel chapter uh, 34 or Jeremiah chapter 14. And Jesus talks about the elders of Israel and the prophet, the false prophets of Israel who would deceive his people and lead them astray as bad shepherds uh, by, by these false prophecies or by some other message that God never told them to give. And to have that type of false prophet heart is, is the same as having the heart of a robber or the heart of a bandit. Um, uh, I, I had like a thousand verses to give to you guys today. And I'm like, I just got to thin it down, thin it down, thin it down. Um, and so, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 10, uh, 15 tells us to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. I mean, I'm so thankful for Jesus's picture to us right there. It's almost like he takes the Looney Tunes approach for guys like me, you know, uh, where Wiley Coyote, you know, he's like trying to get into the sheep and to snatch one away. And so what does he do? You know, he dresses up in sheep's clothes and tries to sneak in and is caught every time, you know, by that big, beautiful sheep dog. And Jesus tells us the same thing happens spiritually and that we as the church need to be aware of those who would try to sneak in uh, and to steal away sheep uh, by some other way than the ways that God has provided for those sheep to enter and exit the courtyard or the sheep fold. That man would be a thief and a robber. There are unauthorized people who would try to come in and enter and brutalize the sheep. And let's look at some of these Old Testament prophecies like Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 2 through 5, where Ezekiel is told, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field. When they were scattered. And so there's just the heartbroken 
plea from the great chief shepherd, uh, the father of Israel. And he's telling these guys, man, you guys are only concerned about getting the wool off of these sheep and slaughtering to eat. You're not caretaking these animals. Zechariah 11 is another passage that just gets to the depth of the problem uh, with the prophets over Israel and these false shepherds. Thus says the Lord, my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich and their shepherds do not pity them. If you jump down to Zechariah eleven sixteen, for indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek their young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat of the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right hand shall be totally blind. And so just the connotation that there are those who would be false shepherds. There would be those that would come in, try to snatch sheep away and take them away for their own brutal purposes. Uh, But verse two of our text here in John chapter 10 says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There is an actual shepherd. There's a a shepherd who has done things right and in righteousness is a shepherd that we can come to for salvation and for feeding and for tending and for protecting. Psalm 81 is just a wonderful positive verse concerning this true shepherd. And you may know it, uh, this song that's set to the tone, the lilies, you all know it, the lilies, uh, the lilies from Asaph says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. And so there is a shepherd for us. He leads us like a flock, or in the context, he leads the tribe of Joseph like a flock, the people of God like a flock. Our shepherd is the one that dwells on the mercy seat who has laid his life down for us. We'll see later on in the chapter. And his blood was shed to bring peace to the father. And he leads us like a flock. Isaiah 40, 11 tells us he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Whenever I think of lambs, I think of living up in the valley. And there were a lot more shepherds and a lot more sheep herders up there. A lot more sheepy flocks, you know. And I remember, you know, you drive from Corvallis towards Albany and these big green pastures. And uh, down I-5 towards Eugene, just huge green pastures with tons of sheep. And then those sheep would have babies. And my wife used to just stare out the window and go, Oh, look at the little lammies, you know, and I always love that. Oh, look at the little lammies. And you know what? She has the heart of Jesus, you know, because Jesus looks at us and he just goes, look at the little lammies, you know, and Isaiah 40, 11 just shows that heart that I'm going to feed you like a shepherd, you know, and I don't totally, I'm not a sheep guy, you know, but I think it has something to do with like hand feeding. You're just like, oh, and you tickle the nose a little bit when it goes in. No, it's nothing like that. Probably. But he gathers the lammies in his arms. Just come on in, come on in. And five or six, I think he can carry, right? Carries them all in his arms, carries them in his bosoms, and he gently leads those who have the little lammies, the little babies, those that are with their young. That's our Lord, man. He is that good shepherd. He is the one who does it right, rightly and in righteousness. There's no... There's no, you know, scheming going on. There's no trickery. There's no backdoor meetings at night about how to steal the sheep away. Like he's righteous. He can walk, you know, the righteous are as bold as a lion and the wicked flee when no one even is pursuing them. And the Lord, our good shepherd, he just walks right up to the fold and he comes right up through the gate. He's got nothing to worry about because he's the shepherd of the sheep. And to him, verse three tells us, To him, the doorkeeper opens. He sees that chief shepherd come and he's like, oh, boss is here. You belong here. It's okay that you're here. These are your sheep. Come in and out however you please. Like it's right and it's good that you're here. 
The guardian understands that and the sheep understand that. The sheep hear his voice. He calls those sheep by name and he leads them. So there's this intimate personal relationship. He knows their name. When I was in high school, I worked for this ranch and, and uh, I was kind of introduced to a little more of the buckaroo scene there in Lakeview and a guy from the ZX or he was, he's from like a buckaroo community and he came to work with us for a little while and he's like, you guys don't need to run out there and, and gather the cattle. Um, you know, just stay here at the entrance and, and listen to this. And he starts yodeling. He starts, he's like, yodeling, yodeling. you know, it was something like that, you know, and he had this big handlebar mustache and he's just like, you know, something. And like the cows are like, you know, you know, that actually didn't happen. He did do the yodeling, but we had to go gather him anyways. Okay. <laughs> Because he was new, and I was like, maybe if you stick around for a little while, then they'll understand your singing. But right now, you look like you're on a cough drop commercial, I'm going to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, in the Jesus case, the sheep know the shepherd. They're so familiar with him. They hear his voice. They're in tune with his voice. They're on the same frequency. They're on the same station, and they understand it, and they listen to it. You know, as we begin to disciple young believers in our church and they're like, how do you know if God's talking to you? It's like, well, you know what? I'm spending time with him. I'm spending time with the shepherd. I'm in the word and I'm feasting upon the word. I'm spending time with the under shepherds, the ones who are elders of the church and that pastor the church. And they're teaching me how to know God, to know Jesus, to be in relationship with him. And, and I'm in prayer. And so when the Lord is speaking to me, I know he's never going to say anything that goes against his word, is going to go against sound doctrine. And so as there are even impressions in my heart, it's just like, you know what? The chief shepherd, he's just leading me with the guiding of his eye. I'm just in tune to him and it backs up what the word of God has to say. And it's easy as a sheep, as you're spending time with the shepherd, to be familiar with his voice. Because you know what? He's familiar with you. He knows you by name. And what intimacy this shows. That, you know, that within this pastoral community, there's a thousand animals that look exactly the same. You know? It's all white sheep. It's all black lambs. It's all red Angus. It's all Brahma. Whatever. They all look the same. And yet those that spend time with their stock know them. You spend time with guys around here that are in the egg community and they know tag numbers, you know, or they know that this one animal has a little white, little white patch on its foot, you know, a little white sock or something like that, you know, or you know that that number 43 cow has got an attitude and she tries to take you out every time that you're around her. Right, Joe? Yeah. You know what we're talking about? Number 43, that girl. All right. Sometimes we don't like all the animals the same. Sometimes no, I'm joking. Um, no, stick to what Jesus said. Okay, Jesus said, <laughs> I know them by name. You know, you're Bessie, you know, you're Agnes, you know, you're, you're, he, he's got a name for every one of us, right? Interesting in the New Testament, when he writes letters to the churches, he's like, I'm going to give you a, you know, I'm going to give you a name that no one knows but you and me. It's going to be my little pet name for you. Do you. Does this sound like your relationship with Jesus? Like, are you in the fold today? Are you a part of his flock? Or are you, you're like that rabid lamb that's like outside that they're like, man, we've tried to catch that thing. You're like over, like eating the rose bushes with the thorns. You know, that's where you're at. You're like, I don't submit to nobody. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. I'm my own man, you know, and that's just how you live. And it's like, man, the Lord wants to know you. He wants you to come in. He wants you to be a part of the flock. He wants you to be in tune with his voice. He wants you to know he knows your name. He wants relationship with you. He wants to protect you and feed you and tend you. He wants to lead you out when it's time to be let out. And then you can frolic and roll and dance and all that stuff, you know. And then it's time to come back in. You know, it's time. To, there's some order to our lives, right? It's something that reminds us of when Moses was saying goodbye to the people of Israel. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 15, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them and who may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. 
So Moses, who was like totally a shepherd type guy, right? I mean, he was the hero of Israel leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses himself says, there's someone that's coming. He's going to be even a better shepherd than me. And you know what? He introduces just a few verses later, a guy named named Joshua, who is a picture of, did you guys know that Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua, which in Aramaic is pronounced Jesus. Do you guys know that? Joshua's name was Jesus. Jesus' name is Joshua. Okay. Yeshua. And he's introducing Jesus in a sense. He's saying, Someone's coming after me. He's a prophet that you need to hear. Hear him because he is going to tend you like nobody could ever tend you. Go back to our text in John chapter four. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and his sheep follow him for they know his voice. Unlike Western shepherds or perhaps maybe more of the cattle industry where you're driving the animals from behind, get up there, you know, um, the shepherd just kind of, I'm never going to get invited to a ranch again. Like, actually, stockmanship these days are like, it's all about gentle stockmanship. Don't burn too many calories on those animals. Just, you know, and so that's how the Lord leads. He leads from the front. He's like. Yeah, there's water over here, guys. You know, there's luscious grass, okay? Thorns and and lice. You want some lice? Yeah, stick around over there. Come on over here. Just enjoy the good pasture. Is this reminding anybody of anything? Maybe one of all time's favorite chapters in the Bible about little sheepies and leadings and valleys of shadows of death. Where are you going, Rory? You know, Psalm 57. No, 23. You were right. (laughs) Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We're going to come back to Psalm 23. We're going to read it together at the end today. Okay. And we're going to worship the Lord with this Psalm towards the end. Spoiler alert. We're getting back to it later. Okay. But he will lead us, right? He leads us with his eye. He wants what's best for us as we're in this relationship of knowing his voice. Then look at verse five. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. Have you ever had that with an animal? You know, that just, he's got his buddies and he does not want any new buddies, okay? You know, a horse, you know, it's like totally jives with his owner. And then they're like, hey, why don't you hop on Black Death over there? And you're like, Yeah, used to be Black Mamba. Then there was an incident. Okay, so, uh, or like a dog, you know, that's out in the neighborhood and you're like, hey, 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 come here, come here. And he's just, you're not even there. Hey, you, come on, come here, little guy. Hey, hey, we don't like pit bulls running around our neighborhood. Come here, come here. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Nothing against pit bulls. Okay. All right. These sheep, The sheep realize when someone comes in from another way, they're not going through the door to get in. They're just kind of in there looking through the sheep and they're like, hey, you want to go through this back way with me? You know, and they're like, I don't know your voice. You're a stranger or perhaps an enemy here. And they flee and they escape and disappear quickly. They avoid the one that's trying to come in from some other angle and to pull you away from the flock. There's a lot of application about this that maybe we should be prayerful about in this day and age. But Jesus was using this illustration, a sort of a metaphor or an allegory or a parable to to show some deep truth of what was going on with these religious leaders. And of course, it's applicable to us today with the various religious um, drawings and pullings that we have uh, against us as the sheep uh, in 2021 Prineville. But look at verse seven. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, now I hope this doesn't just cause the gears in your brain to jam up, but he's gonna shift the parable just a little bit, okay? All right, he's gonna, right now he's just letting you know, like I am that door of the sheep. I am the entrance. So he's the shepherd, he's the door. 
And he did speak of himself as being that. You might remember John chapter 14, verse six, not on the screen right now, because you've got it memorized, okay? Where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life, okay? No man comes to the father, but by me. In Acts chapter four, there's a, there's a parallel to it where the apostles say, nor is there any other name given among men by which we must be saved. So go ahead, in your head, throw out another name. Muhammad, Confucius, you know, like, sorry, none of those names are suffice, all right? It's Jesus, for only at the name of Jesus can we be saved. And, and so Jesus is saying he's the door. I was reading this week that James, Jesus's brother, before he was put to death for the testimony of his brother being the son of God, he was asked before he was executed if he would deny Jesus being the door. He was asked, so who's the door? Well, Jesus is the door. My brother is the door, the son of God, the savior of the world, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one the prophet spoke of, the one Moses spoke of, of being the prophet who would come after me, the one that you need to hear. He'd be the one who would come and be the shepherd after me that would lead the people in and out. Who's the door? My brother's the door. And did you know that James didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was cruising the earth? He thought Jesus was crazy, madman, haul him off to the padded room, okay? My brother, something slipped his mind. Even Mother Mary thought this for a lot of Jesus's ministry. It wasn't until James saw Jesus resurrected from the dead that James says, he was right the whole time. I hate it when he's right. I'm just kidding. Just like lots of brothers, right? So he would end up going to his death saying, I remember in John chapter 10, you know, it wasn't written yet, but that my brother said, I am the door. He's the door, okay? Verse eight, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear him. These insurgent leaders and the like who gather followers around them and led them to disaster. Jesus says again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. This speaks of believing in Jesus. When we believe upon Jesus, when we put our faith in him, when we put our trust in him, when we rest in him, when we lay aside all of our worldview and just say, Jesus, you're right. I don't understand it all. There's a lot of conflicting things, but I know at the end of the day, you will be found to be absolutely right, absolutely true, absolutely yes, and absolutely amen. And I rest in that, that you are worth being trusted. You know that all of Christianity just boils down to, are you going to trust Jesus? I mean, the whole fall happened in the book of Genesis by Adam and Eve listening to the devil say, did God really say, did God really mean yeah, I'll totally eat that. Oh, and the whole world is plunged into bondage. And so all of our faith, all of Christianity is about trusting in Jesus. Today, driving down to church with Tatum, backseat of the car, cutest little tootsie poots you've ever seen, right? And she's back there. I don't know how the question got asked, but try to avoid this one with all that you can. Are you and dad going to be married in heaven? And I'm like, um, well, Jesus tells us that we're not going to be married in heaven, right? All of our affections are going to be for the Lord. There's still, you know, we know each other. We're going to be around. I mean, don't worry. Like, and she's like, you're not going to be married. <laughs> you know, all right, all right, we'll be married. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. You know, <laughs> you're not going to be my parents anymore. Well, I think we'll still be parents. Like we'll have relationship, you know, but there's just going to be so much like, just know, like, hey, Tatum, you can just trust Jesus. Okay. Just trust him. All right, lay down all your assumptions and everything that you think and just, just trust Jesus. Like no matter what, you are worth being trusted. And when we trust, when we enter the flock by trusting him, we will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, be rescued, be healed. When you believe on Jesus, that incredible thing happens to you. When we enter through Jesus, Ephesians chapter two, verse 18, that it's through him that we have access 
by one spirit to the father. You all love your concerts. You know, you love to go to the concerts and you love winning those all access backstage passes, VIPs, right? Y'all want them. All right. And you can know today that you get all access to the throne room of God and being in his presence for all of eternity. There's going to be great snacks and charcuterie trays and just a chocolate fountain. I don't know about any of that, but it's better than the all access rock star room. Okay. You get to be in the presence of Jesus and we have access through him, through the door by believing in him. Romans chapter five, verses one and two was one of my favorite verses when I was in high school, probably because of that image of all access backstage pass. All right. I was really into concerts back then. If I could just see Stephen Curtis Chapman, my life will have meaning. Um, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? Right? So he's the door. Through whom? We also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You get to go into that backstage pass room. You don't have to be like, I really don't belong here. I'm not famous. I'm not cool. You know, I think I have my pants on backwards, but I don't know. You know, and it happens, by the way. Um, And... It's like you can stand in his presence. You can stand in the presence of the famous one and just say, it's not because I'm cool. It's not because I've done this or that. It's because of him through the door, I can come. Verse 10 tells us that the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we know that there's, a thief, all right, or thieves, they come with an agenda to slaughter and to utterly destroy. Uh, Isaiah fifty six eleven says they are greedy dogs, which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way for their own game from their own territory. They are wholly malicious. Contrast that with the door, who is also going to be the good shepherd, just a little bit, okay, door and shepherd, okay, who is entirely benevolent, all right? The thief doesn't come but to still and kill and destroy. When I was living in the Lakeview area, I had more of an accent, and we would just be like, the enemies come to steal and kill, right? Steal and kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly, beyond extraordinary Life, exceptional, superfluous, to have life to the full. He didn't just save us for nothing. He has saved us for something. And as sheep, we have an abundant life and a hope. Verse 11, it moves on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The uh, lexicon uses good shepherd here and defines it as the beautiful minister. I am the beautiful minister who lays his life down. There's an antitype between the thief and the shepherd. They are contrasted here. Now, interestingly enough, the context was something that the Jews would have had a hard time understanding because no Palestinian shepherd would ever give his life for a sheep. They wanted to live. They existed to live. But Jesus says, guys, I have come for the sheep, but to die for them. All right. I like what Beg says. His death did not come about by a great misadventure, you know, a skydiving trip gone bad or something like that. You know, uh, his death did not come by the strength of his enemies. Because after all, he has the power to lay his life down. We're going to read that in just a little bit. And he has the power to raise it up. Jesus didn't die because someone got the advantage over him or the jump on him. He didn't die because he couldn't outrun his enemies. He died because he willingly laid his life down. And it's there in the garden of Gethsemane that Jesus just says, don't you know that If I wanted to, I could have legions of angels come and rescue me. But I am the one who gives my life. Willingly, I lay my life down for the flock. D.A. Carson said, 
The shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example, as in throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. No, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger, that in their defense, the shepherd loses his life, that by his death, they are saved. And so he sacrificially lays his life down as a rescuer, as one who is substituting himself in their stay. Contrast that with the hireling, verse 12, a hireling or a hired man. I was just thinking when I was studying this, I grew up on a ranch and I was just thinking about how hired man was a part of my vocab when I was a little boy. Just, we had hired men, you know, and like dad, the hired man and this hired man and that hired man. And And it's just interesting that you would have that in your vocab. Like, and Jesus is like, I've got it in my vocab too. Cause the hired man, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So thieves and robbers are obviously wicked uh, we kind of contend to read this like the hireling guy is just wicked, but but it's not so much that he's wicked, it's just like, you don't pay me to die for the sheep, right? And so yesterday, I was at a branding and hung out, out at the ranch after a while, after a while and um, we typically eat, and then we went and checked the calves, and then just stuck around longer for coffee, and I was with some of the cowboys out there, it's kind of just always just praying like, Lord, give me an opportunity to talk about you. And, and just as we were there, just wrapping up, I was like, Hey, can you guys help me with my sermon a little bit? You know, and like coffee cups spilled over and um, just joking. But I was like, guys, as cowboys, you know, what did, do you like imagine yourself laying your life down for your stock, you know? And like at first they're like, oh, like absolutely. And as they were thinking though, they're like, but I gotta say, um, you know, when I was just uh, a hired man, uh, you know, I was like, you know, 10 hour days, like that's enough. Okay. Like at the end, you know, like let's not go overboard. Okay. Like get me back to the bunkhouse, you know, grill up some steaks, get in my bedroll, go to sleep, you know, but but when I became like either a manager and had some ownership and stake in the place, or when I own my own cattle, like, man, I'm going to just, I'm going to bend over back. And we begin to talk about how laying down one's life, like we were almost defining it as like, I'll be up super early or all night long. I will just give everything I have for, for these animals so that they're healthy and that they're strong and that not one, they said with cattle, it's like cattle are just trying to die all the time, just trying, looking for a way to die, you know? And so you're just up and you just, no, don't die. You know, can you just stop it? You know, and these cowboys, they're just having fun talking about this stuff, you know? And, uh, so when we own these animals, man, there's more that we're willing to do. You know, but, but then if I may, I would say Jesus trumps all of that because then we were like, what about dying for that cow? You know, and we're like, ah, I don't know. Like I die for maybe a friend being a pickup rodeo cowboy or something, but I don't know, like just dying and taking one for the team, you know, just so that this calf, can, like, I don't know about that, you know? And so if we may, Jesus is the true and better cowboy. Okay. Jesus is the true and better one. Who's like, you know what? I am like actually going to go out there and stand between the wolf and the flock and not just shoot at it, run away. I'm going to let the wolf devour me. I am going to give my life for this flock. And, and so Jesus, man, he ups the game. This was something, by the way, to the Palestinians, there was no concept of this. Like talking about sheep, talking about, Judean wilderness and wolves and bears talking about like outrun the sheep to get away from it. Okay. All you got to do is outrun the sheep. All right. And so, um, the hireling flees verse 13 tells us because he has a, he's a hireling. Like my job description is not get slaughtered for the lammy. Okay. Um, like I'll feed them and I'll, you know, make sure they get their penicillin shot, but you know, like that's about where it stops. Okay. He does not care about the sheep. 
doesn't think and concern himself and lay up all night just thinking about the, the sheep. But Jesus contrasts again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And, and it is interesting, you know, to know that there's these, these cowboys around here and they know, they know those animals. They're talking about their tag numbers, like numbers. Oh yeah, number 308, you know, again, you know, she's walking a little lame today or something like that. They know numbers, they know. And, uh, and Jesus says, yeah, I'm like that. I know your name and I, I am also known, I have relationship with my own. This is something that Nahum would prophesy of, that the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him. Verse 15, as the father, by the way, we're going through verse 21 today. Can you give me that? You're like, there's a lot left here. Just give me through verse 21, okay? Really verse 18, okay? As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Okay, so Jesus knows the sheep and the sheep know him. They're in relationship with one another. The father, so a Trinitarian statement here, uh, dealing with the two uh, people of the Trinity, the father and the son. The father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the father. Have you ever played seven steps to Kevin Bacon? You know, we're like, I know a guy who knows a gal who knows a guy who knows a gal. And everyone can d- get to Kevin Bacon within seven steps. Play it. It's a fun little game. Okay. Kevin Bacon is who? Okay. All right. How about steps to the father? God, the father. Well, I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. Jesus knows the father. Boom. That's either two or three, depending on how you want to call it. Okay. Two steps to the father. All right. The father knows me. I know the father. And somehow in this relationship, it leads to this verb, this action statement of laying life down, sacrificing life for the sheep. Okay. It's a continuation of that truth of the relationship between the father, the son, and the redemption of the world. Speaking of the world, verse 16, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You guys, we ought to love this verse because guess who we are? We're these other sheep here right? We're the non-Jews. We're the Gentiles. We are clear across the planet on the other side of the pond over here in Oregon, 2000 years later. And Jesus has a mind for us that this flock that I'm going to shepherd and lay my life down, it is vast and it is wide. And there are people clear over there that are going to benefit from my laying my life down for the sheep. And we will be one big family, we will be one big flock, and there will be one leader, one shepherd. Verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. It's one thing to say that no one is going to take my life from me. It's another thing to say, oh, and by the way, when I'm good and ready, I'm going to raise it back up again. Okay, that's going to lead to a response from the Jews in just a little bit. That's going to call him straight crazy, right? Now he's talking about dying. Now he's coming back to life again. This guy, like this guy, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I'm pretty sure there are cocoa puffs there and he is cuckoo for them, I think. All right. But there is this connective statement here. This word, because in the, in the middle of verse 17, my father loves me. Because of this rescue plan and the rescue of the non-Jews all the way over in Oregon someday, all the way over in Nepal where they've never even heard the name of Jesus 2,000 years later, don't even know who Jesus is, no concept of Jesus, all right? Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, these unreached people groups, Pakistan, Iran, all of these places where there's no one's heard about Jesus in these areas. They've been forbidden to know him or the situations are tough and no missionaries could get in there, all right? There are people who still need to know of Jesus And the father loves the son because he's willing to be a part of this rescue plan to lay his life down in this rescue plan and to also lay it, uh, to raise it up again, rather to raise it up again. Jesus lays down his life in order to take it up again. It was, uh, FF Bruce that said it was his first stage in being glorified. 
if he was to impart resurrection life to others, he must receive resurrection life himself. And to receive resurrection life, he must first pass through death. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? It's true. Like you got to deal with the statements of Jesus here. Cause this John chapter 10, Jesus is making, let's have the worship team come up by the way. Jesus is making some big statements. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. You're only saved if you believe in me and come through me. So what are you going to do? Right? Um, and you know what? I'm going to lay my life down. No one can take it from me. I'm laying it down on my own. And I'm also going to raise back up again. And so this guy's crazy. He's got a demon. I like what C.S. Lewis has said that Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either spouting off all kinds of lies and made up stuff about how awesome he is, or he's a lunatic that it's just, this is crazy talk, Jesus, let's be honest. Or maybe there's something to what he's saying. Maybe this suffering savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead, Maybe this really happened and he needs to be given some credit and there needs to be a response if this really happened. I think it was Bag that modified C.S. Lewis's statement. So Lewis said, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. And Alistair Begg said, he's either a deceiver or he's delusional or he's deity. Or to take it one more step, he's either a madman or a bad man or the God man. So today you've got a choice to make. And what we've read, you got to be real. You got to say, Jesus is either just lying to the whole world and we should be angry about this, that for 2,000 years, if not 6,000 years, people have been buying into this stuff. Should make us angry that there's been such deception in the world. Or we ought to feel sorry for Jesus. Because he was, there was mental illness going on. This guy thought he was God. Later on in this chapter, the Jews are going to try to kill Jesus because he's making himself to be God here. Or got to be honest and say, Jesus, you say you're the door. You say that you will lead us in and out and give us life. You say that any other way through the back 40 or some other fence line or some other hole in the gate or any other way, it's thievery and robbery and it will lead to death. But Lord, you say that you are the good and righteous shepherd. Then there's got to be a real business done between you and God. Where you give over everything you are before him and to him. And you trust in him and believe in him and just say, okay, then Lord, be my shepherd. Be my everything. Be the one who gave his life for me to save me. To purchase me to bring me into the flock, to know my name, to provide for me. I give you my life, Jesus. And if you will, we'll go to Psalm 23 here. And let's stand together. I was, sometimes when I'm kind of prepping for the week, I'll just throw sermons on while I'm driving and Listening to Alistair Begg this morning, I ran down the church and I went home and he was saying that if you visit a Scottish crematorium from like the hours of like 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., there's just hundreds of people that go in and out and have these funeral services 
And I guess it's kind of a Scottish tradition, not too far off from ours, but to read and sing Psalm 23. And he says, and I've been there enough to find that the hymnals in these um, crematoriums, he says, if you kind of flop it open, it'll always open to Psalm 23. And he says, and the words on these pages, like almost every one of them, the words are on the edges or just rubbed off. They're just clearly used. And as I was listening to that, I was like, man, that's kind of special. Everyone just loves Psalm 23. And he goes, but think of how many hundreds of people are lying every time they sing it. Because the Lord is not their shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's one of many shepherds. The Lord is not, you know, the one that we should want for and put our trust and hope in. He's not the one that provides for us. He's not the one that, like, is the way, the truth, the life, the door, the shepherd. And so today, I was like, man, that was convicting to me. As we're reading it, let's ask the Lord today, do I believe this? And if you just don't know, pray a prayer that a man prayed in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, where he's... Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What is going on inside me that you have not been my shepherd and I have not been giving you the rightful place of ownership of my life. I've not let you be my master. I've tried to be my own. I believe that you're master. So work in this heart today. Come in and have your way in me. And you know what? He will come in. And he will clean house and he will have his way in you and he will redeem you and save you and change your life. But you've got to humble yourself today as a little sheep to the shepherd. We're going to read the New King James Version today and uh, let's read it together. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.